What's up, everybody? Welcome back to episode eight of the Kill Your Internet podcast. With you tonight is just your boy. It's me, Colin. Uh, due to lockdown, we are kind of all spread around in different places. Uh, so I'm by myself tonight. Luckily enough, we do have Mr. Trey Sasser Skyping in for an interview at the end of this episode. Stick around. That is an unbelievable interview with uh, Trace. Trace is one of our producers from Nashville, Tennessee. Just a great friend of ours and someone who's been around for most of the journey here. Uh, obviously, we're going to touch on coronavirus and everything going on with that. Um, you know, we're all doing well. We're all healthy. Uh, we're all with our families. Uh, still getting a ton of work done. Uh, we have a video coming out this week for That's How It Goes. Uh, we have a ton of new music that I think we're going to drop just because, you know, everybody's locked down. Why not give people what they need? Um, I hope everybody's doing well out there. Obviously, be with your families. Take care of yourselves. Be healthy. Do your best not to spread this around. Stay home. Fucking don't be an idiot. Don't be like those kids in Florida who went to the beach for spring break and got a bunch of people sick. Um, obviously, this is the number one thing going on. But more than anything, you know, I've seen a lot of really amazing things from artists all around the world. Uh, a lot of Philly artists, too, doing these great live streams. Loka Connie's live live has been unbelievable. Francis Quinlan. Uh, there's been a lot of people who've done some amazing stuff. We went live last night and actually created a song on live. Uh, we had a lot of guests come through. We made a song called Standing in the Rain. Uh, we had me and Will started out, then Houseplant. An uh, awesome band out of Philadelphia came in. Brianna Judge, who's a frequent collaborator. She's actually on the new record playing guitar on a song called Never Get Enough of You. Uh, we had Katie uh, from You Do You come in, amazing vocalist. Uh, and then we had uh, Bruce Warren from WXPN, the head of one of the biggest stations in the country, come in and talk some rap. Um, and then we had Dylan Edinger, our photographer. We had a photographer from North Carolina, uh, a girl uh, named Sonia, goes by Simply the Tiny Dragon on Instagram, came on. Uh, just chopped it up, and then we had uh, Elena, our manager, come on as well. And we, we, uh, I was afraid because we were talking about the new music on there that she was going to get pissed, but she didn't. So I'm pretty happy about that. But everybody in Fox Shot World is good. Everybody's healthy, uh, all positive. So uh, you know, we'll move past that. Uh, other than that, let's catch up on the previous episodes. Uh, <laughs> we had Paul come on last week for the first episode of the Hip Hop Group Chat. Paul is our videographer, our buddy, someone who's toured with us over the years, and. Uh, you know, we share a love of hip-hop, and it's a reoccurring thing that's going to happen. Me, Paul, our friend Tom, and then Bruce Warren apparently is going to come on and do some episodes with us as well. We just chop it up about rap. Uh, and then we had Will come on for episode six, and Will was fucking phenomenal, dude. I, um, I've um, i been waiting to have Will on the podcast because Will's a very deep individual. Me and Will have really deep, great conversation, and we chopped it up about positives that could possibly possibly come out on the creative side from all this nonsense and uh, our favorite fast food places are our Desert Island albums. And then uh, to cap it all off last week, we had Eric come on. And whenever me and Eric were cousins, so shit got goofy. We talked about NFL free agency. Uh, we talked about favorite Zeppelin albums and uh, favorite sports movies. And you know, piggybacking off of that, if you were to check up and fact check us, all of our NFL free agency predictions were incorrect. Hold on, I'm taking a sip of my drink. This is a white Russian. Uh, it's the goofiest thing I could possibly be drinking right now, but I want a fucking dessert, dude, so get out of here. Cheers. All right, back to the uh, podcast. Um, I, on record, said that Tom Brady would in no way, shape, or form be a Tampa Bay Buccaneer, and I was incorrect. Um, so, you know, my bad. Uh, but the Eagles made some great moves. Love a Darius Slay move. Bringing Will Parks back to Philly was pretty cool. Uh, and then, I mean, there's just been so much change in the NFL. I can't wait for the NFL to come back. I'm so glad they don't give a fuck about public health or safety because I needed NFL free agency to get through this. Um, I've been wearing a Ben Simmons jersey most of the week because I missed the NBA. Flyers were hot. And now, who the fuck knows? And, uh, you know, speaking of wearing things, the most, you know, sad casualty of this entire situation has been the fact that I've been able to get my hair cut. I'm wolfing it. We call it in Philly, we call it wolfing it. You have long hair. And I don't think I've taken my Philly's head off in like a week. So, shout out to my barber, Mike. Please, Mike, come back into my life. Um, I'm going to move pretty quickly through the segments because it's just me. Uh, we do have the Trace interview coming up, which I'm so fucking excited about. It was an amazing interview. Uh, but let's go to the wildest shit that we've seen on the internet this week. Uh, number one was definitely Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, as most celebrities were, Arnold was giving a uh, an update on social media about staying indoors. You know, don't be an asshole. Don't spread the virus. But... Arnold did it in the most Arnold way possible. And if I do pass away at some point in my life, I want to come back as Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was in his hot tub in his multi-million dollar mansion, smoking a stogie, drinking some whiskey, and hanging out with his pet donkeys. 
yes, I said pet donkeys. He had two donkeys come up, and in the most boss Arnold way possible, just chilling, smoking a bogue, drinking some whiskey, chilling with donkeys. Um, we had uh, the video that shut down the internet last week, which was Gal Gadot, who is the actress from um, Wonder Woman. She does an amazing job as Wonder Woman, but put out this extremely fucking cringy video of her and a bunch of other celebrities singing parts to uh, uh, John Lennon's Imagine. And it just came off so douchey and so pompous and so privileged. And everybody roasted it, including myself. I just retweeted it with a comment and said, what the fuck is this? And I, I, was, I was definitely in the majority of people who were like, what the fuck is going on here? Um, other than that, I got to give a shout out to Dr. Anthony Fauci. He's the leading uh, expert in infectious disease in America. He's been through a fucking ringer this week. And uh, he went on part of my take, shout out to Barstool, and did a, a great a great interview with them. Uh, but then he had to stand behind President Trump all week and try not to laugh as President Trump was just going off record and saying a bunch of things about the, the coronavirus. And there's a video out there of him like covering his face and trying not to laugh. So... Hope you're doing well, Dr. Fauci. And if, if anybody's listening, don't go anywhere else to your facts except for that dude um, because he knows what he's talking about. Um, let's go into what I've been listening to. Uh, it's been a, a lot of escape. I said escape songs and escape albums trying to you know feel normal, feel like I'm out of this situation. And first thing I went to was Future. Uh, I went to Use Me by Future. It's from the Hendrix album. Uh, a little more croony, a little, little bit more of the, the croony, like drugged outside of Future, but such a great fucking song. Feel the pain in the dude's voice. Um, and then the other night, me and my wife had a small gathering on our new porch. Um, just moved into a new house after we got married and had a small gathering. It was less than five people uh, on our porch. And we were playing a lot of Kings of Leon out of, the, uh, out of our Alexa. And uh, I picked Knocked Up. Knocked Up is the first song off there because of the Times album. And as a first song to do a six-minute long kind of like train drum beat, just fucking bold move and it was the album that really saw Kings of Leon take off into a different stratosphere um, so I'm a huge fucking Kings of Leon fan um, and then I went with Mount Joy Mount Joy is a band that originated in Philadelphia uh, a little more folky um, but they they transplanted to LA and uh, they've, they've really blown up and they just got off the road with the Lumineers I picked the song Silver Lining uh, for being a more acoustic folky song just feels like it could fill a fucking arena and I'm sure it did with the Lumineers but uh, great band fucking shout out to Mount Joy uh, moving past that, oh, real quick, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor today, Two Robbers. Two Robbers Hard Seltzer, made in Philadelphia, Philadelphia made, Philadelphia proud, uh, 5.2% alcohol. Uh, dude, got to be drinking the seltzers. We're all going to be fat after this entire fucking quarantine, so got to get back into it. Got to be drinking seltzers, got to be drinking Two Robbers. Um, yeah, buy local, support your local businesses, man. Two Robbers is that shit. I'm going to go into our question segment. Uh, every week, we put up polls on our Instagram to ask people to ask us questions they want answered on the pod. Uh, first question this week is, favorite current rapper? Dude, why don't you rip my fucking heart out? I always say that. Like, I said that on the podcast with Paul, but... All right, let me give this a try. Uh, I'd say J. Cole is probably my favorite current rapper. Artist I listen to the most. Um, always a big fan of solo albums. Platinum with no features. Um, but after the Dreamville record where he got everybody together, no doubt, fucking love Cole. Uh, obviously a big Drake guy. Drake's the go right now. Drake's the biggest name in hip-hop, and he's just been a machine for the past 10 years. Um, I'm just going to start naming him off. Chance the Rapper, huge fan. Uh, Action Bronson's my... <laughs> fucking, that's my boy right there. Um, I guess I'm going to go Thug. Um, I guess older Travis shit. I'm, and now I'm going to start going with like the more like like lesser-known... Uh, Baby Keem, if I want to feel like super ignorant, Baby Keem, Orange Soda, check that out. Sean Smith is the fucking future. Sean Smith is a rap from Philadelphia. If you don't know Sean Smith, fucking get on the Sean Smith wagon right now. Um, oh my God, there's so many that, uh, you know what, I, I'm not going to keep going because I could keep going forever. Um, but yeah, favorite current rappers right there. Uh, next question comes with, uh, you know, what? I'm going to do the Paul question. Paul asked, Favorite road story with me there and favorite road story without me there. All right, Paul, my favorite road story with you there, I'm not going to say out loud, uh, but I'm going to say a keyword here. Uh, it was North Carolina, think Charlotte. You'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, and then without you there, hmm. I'm going to go with uh, me and Jimmy almost fighting Louis Tomlinson from One Direction at the Firefly Music Festival in Delaware. 
Louie, we see you. It's on hand. It's it's on site, dude. We're throwing hands. Um, I told that story on a different podcast, but yeah, we almost knuckled up with a kid from One Direction. Um, and then I don't know. I got a million of them. I'm not gonna keep going there. Uh, other than that, what was the other questions I seen here? Um, oh, here we go. Um, what you know? At what age did you guys start playing music? And what was your original influences? All right, I can answer for myself. So I started playing drums at eight. I started playing guitar at nine. So it's been a big part of my life for most of my life, at least the last, like, 19, 20 years. Um, my early influences. In my house, it was a lot of classic rock. So it was a lot of Zeppelin, a lot of ACDC, Aerosmith, uh, Rolling Stones. Bruce Springsteen's always my biggest influence by far. Uh, my mom only likes bands from New Jersey, so my mom loves Bruce Springsteen. My mom loves Bon Jovi. My mom loves. Uh, I, I'm also. I grew up in my grandmother's house, who's from Italy. Um, so Frank Sinatra, big for me. My grandmother said a lot of like Pavarotti and shit like that, but Sinatra was a big influence. Um, and then I would say, I mean Kanye. Kanye introduced me to rap, which took me back to a lot of like the soul samples. So I learned about Otis Redding through that. A lot of early blue shit. And then G-Love and Special Sauce. Got to give a shout-out to G-Love. G-Love was a blending of all that. And G-Love's from Philly, so that's that's the man right there. Um, so that was our question segment. I got one more segment before we get to Trace. Flying through this early part, because Trace's interview was pretty long, and I want everybody to stick around for that, because it, it, it's an important interview. Um, so I'm going to go. We've been doing these Desert Island kind of coronavirus survival guides. And uh, I'm a big cinephile i love movies i love tv i mean i fucking love books too i love music i just love to consume culture and art and, but i'm gonna go with my favorite seasons of television so i'll start with comedy i'm doing comedy and drama so for comedy i'm going season two of the office season two of the office is you know what made me fall in love with the show we got to think about all the great episodes in that season uh there was the, the original dundies uh there was the uh boat trip episode there was casino night ended the season um, Michael Girls' foot in the injury, Dwight crashed into a pole. Um, season two, oh, the fights in that season two. But I mean, season three is great. Season four is great. Season five is great. Season six is great. Season seven is great. Season eight is great. Um, season nine is great. Season one is great. The whole series is great. It's my favorite TV show ever. Uh, season two of Entourage made it as well. Entourage is me, me and Ken fucking bonded over Entourage and my dog's name is Vincent Chase, so it's actually my dog's actually named after the main character from Entourage. But season two, show came into its own. Vinny became the biggest movie star in the world. Aquaman, fucking uh, Mandy Moore. Uh, if you know, you know. If you don't, go watch it. But I fucking love season three, season four, season six. Show's great. Uh, and then I went with a toss up for my last pick here. I went between New Girl season one. New Girl's the most underrated show of all time. Um, Jake Johnson. Zoe Deschanel, Max Greenfield, Lamore Moore, um, fucking Damon Wayne's Jr. is on that show. Just a great fucking show. And, uh, you know, Nick Miller is my spirit animal. Um, but I also, I couldn't pick one season of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, so I just picked the whole show. Uh, it's Always Sunny is fucking the goat. They're still going. Uh, and I'm going to go with uh, my drama picks here. I'm going with True Detective Season 1. Uh, I think is the perfect season of television ever. Uh, Nick Pazzoluto, who cr like created the series and wrote it, uh, did a great job at season one. And that's the Woody Harrelson, Matthew McConaughey, fucking performance of a lifetime from McConaughey, deep Louisiana witchcraft bullshit. Uh, if you don't know, go figure it out. Um, the Sopranos is my favorite show of all time. Um, season two is my favorite season. Um I mean, Christ, Richie Aprile's in that season is my least favorite DB character of all time. Just want to punch that dude in the fucking face. Uh, what happens to Christopher in that season is absolutely nuts. I don't want to say it for those who haven't watched it yet. He gets shot. Um, and then fucking the pussy and and Tony like dynamic and the the drama through that is just it's fucking perfect TV. And then for my last pick for seasons, I picked season five of Breaking Bad. I mean, what can I say? Breaking Bad is, is it's not my favorite TV show of all time, but it's the most perfect full series of all time. Brian Cranston, Aaron Paul. I mean, Bob Odenkirk as Saul Goodman. Great job, by the way, with Better Call Saul. So, shout out to Breaking Bad. Perfect. Best ending for a series ever. 
Um, honorable mention for uh, the drama series, I went with Sons of Anarchy just because that was me and Maddie, my brother's show. Um, and then I went with, I don't know if Shameless is a drama or a comedy, but I, I put it between the two because I've been in a fucking Shameless hole for about three months now. And uh, Emmy Rossum, fucking fantastic. William H. Macy, fantastic. Just a great show. Um, yeah, so I got, I got through the segments. Uh, I'm going to leave you guys. It's about an hour-long interview with Trace. Um, Trace is just an absolutely spectacular human being. That's our boy. Uh, and for any musician wondering how a relationship with the producer goes and kind of thinking about spreading your wings and trying something different, listen to this interview and you're going to learn a lot. Um, so I'm going to sign off now. Fucking stay safe. Fuck you guys. Love you. All right, so this week, our guest, we're going to have on our man, Mr. Trace Sasser. Uh, Trace is our Nashville homie. Uh, he's one of my favorite people in the entire world. He's also our producer. Uh, he did our first record called Roots Too Deep. Uh, Trace was basically the first person in the industry to take a chance on me, uh, take a chance on us. So uh, I definitely have been looking forward to having him on the show. Uh, Trace, say what's up, buddy. Colin, how are you doing, man? I'm fantastic, Trace. How are you? Good. Great. Good. All right. So I'm not going to waste any breath here and try and explain who you are with the depth of who you are. So do me a favor. Give me a rundown on what you do, <laughs> where you're from. Let's talk, let's chop this up. Um, I, I live in right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I'm a you know I'm a music, I'm a multi instrumentalist, but I play bass is my main instrument. Uh, you know, I play a little guitar, a little piano. You know how that goes. Um, sing a little background vocals, whatever, whatever you need to do. Um, I played bass with a guy named Will Hogue. We had two, a couple records on Atlantic Records. Um, we toured for about seven years. We toured with a bunch of cool people. Rod Stewart, John Mellencamp, Wallflowers. Um, you know, little names, nothing big, no big deal. Just Rod Stewart and Wallflowers. And, you know, basically the biggest names in Americana. But, yeah, continue. <laughs> right, right. Um, and it was pretty cool, man. Like, we, you know, we um, – I was in uh, I was in Bass Player Magazine, which to me was a huge deal. Like, maybe the biggest – you know, to me, because I read that magazine, so they—I I, I think it's kind of—it's kind of wanky to be. To, you are to the really... one person who read Bass Player Magazine. I hope you know that. You should be very proud of yourself. <laughs> I was their one subscriber. <laughs> um, uh, uh, we were on the when we were on the road with the Wallflowers. The bass player came up and said, "Man, I saw that article they they did about you and bass player. It's pretty cool." And I said, "Thanks, man." And he said, "You know, they asked me, but I wasn't available." All right, do me a favor real quick, because this is one of my favorite stories of all time. It's one of the first stories you ever told me. Can you tell the story about you and Jacob Dylan doing the wait in New York? Oh, Lord. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, first of all, the Wallflowers, they disliked John Mellencamp intensely. So they just they looked for any reason not to hang out backstage. So Jacob Dylan, who was the son of obviously a Bob Dylan um, came up and, and was, they were being totally cool, totally cool to us. And we, we were kind of freaked out. You know, we just kind of stayed in our van. They were all in tour buses. We were in a van. And um, so he says, he comes up and says to me is hit him and the keyboard player named Rami, who's actually in the Foo Fighters now. Um, See, ladies band. and gentlemen, if you're not familiar with Nashville, what we're going to be dealing with here is a lot of name dropping. And I mean that in the most complimentary way possible, but Nashville, you go down there and they're like, yeah, I bumped into Jack White and I bumped into Chris Stapleton and blah, blah, blah. So, Trace, you're about nine name drops in, so I'm really excited about this. It's true. It's true. But it's, but it's a true story. So, um, my drummer and I and Will, uh, Jacob, and Rami were hanging at some bar after a show in New York. I think it was New York. Not sure. And he says, uh, Jacob turns to – now, I'm about three – cocktails in you know so I'm, I'm feeling pretty pretty ripe and <laughs> I, do, I don't know jacob very well at this point and he says to me he has a very dry sense of humor he says to me hey you want to get up and play some songs and i was like sure you know i was like wow cool that's awesome he says do you know the weight now you know i'm sure your listeners know but if they don't the weight is done by the band it's only one of the greatest up, songs of all time. No yeah. big deal. 
Yeah, yeah, who backed up Bob Dylan. So in my mind, I'm thinking, did Bob Dylan write this song? Is that, is that, he, he probably did. Could you I know? possibly I like, offend I, anybody on this stage by messing this song up? <laughs> right, I was very, all of a sudden I got very nervous. And I was like, oh, uh, he said, let's just, let's just do that. It's cool. And we'll start with that. We'll see what happens. So we do the song. It's cool. And we did like two or three other songs. It was like a movie. There was like nobody there. And all of a sudden there was like 500 people there just like, going, ah, like jumping around. <laughs> so we, I'm sweating it the whole time, you know, half drunk. I, I sit back at the bar when we get done. He looks at me and goes, I mean, you know, I was just, I was just messing with you, right? Before we played the song, he says to me, do you know the way? I say, yes. And he says, don't screw it up. It means a lot to me. That's, <laughs> that's the, that's the punchline. I was going to say, you told the whole story and didn't explain <laughs> the beginning. <laughs> so and then at the end, he said, you know, I was just, I was just screwing with you. Right. And I said, no, I did not know that. <laughs> That was like my favorite story when we first started coming to Nashville and Trace told me that story and I was like, holy shit, I'm in a different world right now. Um, Real quick, so let's bring this up. So I assist all of our guests and like I'm interested to hear this from you because I've never asked you this question before, but what was the moment where you kind of knew that music was it for you? It could be a song, it could be like something coming, like, like what song did you hear? What record did you hear? And you were like, okay, fuck it. This is it for me. Man, uh, that's a good question. Um, I, don't, I would say, like, the first record, real record that I well, – my, my father's a, a preacher so in the South. So rock records weren't totally allowed in my house, even though my father was a touring musician. And he, we had a lot of blues records in the house, Muddy Waters, John Hopkins – uh, like those kind of things, uh, Howlin' Wolf. But for some reason, rock and roll, like, you know. Um, but I snuck a Queen record in the house. I knew you were going to uh, say Queen. The Game. And, uh, man, John Deacon, the bass player, I was just trying to learn how to play, but I learned, like, every song on that record and was a huge fan. Uh, so that probably... I just had so many records. Then I just started collecting vinyl, like ELO. Um, you know, this is all late 70s. And then, like, in the 80s, like Duran Duran. Like, anything that had cool bass parts in it, I, I just kind of sat down just and like just kind of learn it from top to bottom. Or something like that. Like, a big, a big Duran Duran, like, poster on your wall, and you had, like, a flock <laughs> of people's haircut. I did not have a Duran Duran poster, but I did go down one time to... My hair was longer, and I really... The, like the bass player I was like how does he do his hair like that and the guy was like you gotta get a perm and I was like what's that Trace did you have a perm <laughs> I had a perm yeah oh I had a perm in the God. back it was like a shag perm it's almost a mullet in America or in, in in like the northern part of America we call that a mullet Trace I want you to know that <laughs> they call it a mullet here too but all the Brits had it like remember Paul McCartney had one yes and it was horrendous looking although Paul McCartney yes. can't do any wrong Right. Um, so, you know, it's funny because I feel like you'll kind of know this about me, but like I was born in 1991. So it's it's like a little bit of like a stretch to say like the Rolling Stones were the first thing. And it was the Rolling Stones and Clapton because my dad, you know, obsessed about it. And I feel like that's kind of translated. But the actual first record that I knew like music was my thing was Kanye West College Dropout. We've had that conversation before. And it's kind of we a weird have. thing. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, I love that. Like, I sort of. I can totally relate to that, but then in some ways I can't because, you know, I just, I didn't come up on hip hop. Like, you know, I, I, but there's I mean, a thing like, so me and Paul had a conversation the other day on the podcast where we were talking about how our parents rock and roll was like the punk thing, like the thing like you weren't supposed to do back in the day. And our parents, for me, it's hip hop, but for us, it was our parents. It was rock and roll. So rock and right. roll was easily accessible in my house, but hip hop was like the one thing that wasn't allowed. I think that's how it goes with, with kids and parents and stuff like that. Yeah, totally. All right. So next question for me, like, like, and I mean, so do you remember the first time that we met? The first time that I remember meeting you is when you came down with Dana. Yes, we met at with the your, high lot. With your, 
Yeah, and we well, and we went out for drinks uh, at a bar called Patterson House. Yeah, it's a speakeasy. Yeah, yeah. So that's, for me, like, is that the first time? You'll never know how wacky this really was for me, be, like being from Philly and going to Nashville and meeting a stranger at a speakeasy. Like this was the most baller shit of all time. So <laughs> right, like, that was good. That, that place is cool. Yeah, no, because it was called the Catbird Seat, and you had to, like, know somebody to get into the speakeasy, and that was, like, was, like, what the fuck am I doing here? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that was fun, and we talked, you know, we talked about music, and at the time, I had a a music kind of production partner who, did she see you guys, I guess, and and was, I think she saw you guys, and, and set up a meeting yeah no it was more like i reached out and then she set it up and then we wound up meeting but i mean you were my selling point on everything because i think we just bonded pretty much instantaneously we did yeah that's for sure so let's go back let's talk about roots too deep right so i think this is really funny to think back and it's been five years now since we met we met in 2015 which is pretty wild to fucking think about yeah we show up and we're just like these like Four idiots from Philadelphia. Like, be honest with me. What was the process like in the beginning working with Foxtrot as, like, 23-year-old morons? Um, (laughs) (laughs) The deep breath kills me. Um, Well, I'll say this. Um, One of your your strengths is uh, you're headstrong and you know what you want, but you also listen. Which I think was huge for that phase of, of Foxtrot. Um, you had a different drummer at that point uh, than you have now. Uh, you didn't have Jimmy. I wish you'd had Jimmy. Um, and- <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man. See, this is what I enjoy because I feel like I'm just like talking to a buddy. Like sometimes we do these interviews and I don't really know whether or not it's going to go well. But I feel like we have so much background that you can just say whatever the fuck you want and I'm down on it. We changed. Um, uh, home with me. We changed the drum beat to like a, like a, like a Philly R and B kind of. It was back. kind of like a like a like an E Street Shuffle kind of a deal. I remember right. going in and like our conversation was we should make this more like Tenth Avenue freeze out, which you know that's not ambitious or anything like that. But I remember you being yeah. like, "All right, we can do that." Yeah, totally. And and I remember referencing uh, Questlove uh, on uh, Just a Kid. You know, I mean, just like some some things that, that we just changed a few things. Some, when, some well, now things. I guess I guess my question is, being that you so Trace just flew up to Philly in December or January, one of the two, to finish the last song on the record. And uh, what was the difference between getting in the studio then and getting in the studio now? The the difference the difference is now you guys are way more confident. And you don't. I think like a producer. Have you seen the the Rick Rubin documentary? Yes. Shangri La. I mean, I love him. I think he's genius because it's he comes. He has a thing where he says, "I wish that I that I could just like produce somebody and never be there." And I was like, "What? That's you know what I mean? Like that's terrible." That's the most Rick Rubin thing I've ever heard in my entire life. But it's really not. So when I was there, all it all all it is this time. Uh, with Monster, it was just like small. Hey, let's let's just try this. Oh, what about? I think we changed a small bass part. It's just like tiny tweaks because the the engine's already humming, you know. So I don't want to I don't want to say any. I, there's a lot of things I could have said, but why? I think you the most are, interesting thing from my it. perspective, right, was like I felt like I used to get in the vocal booth and like be sweating bullets because I really didn't know whether or not you were gonna like what I was doing. And this time it was like, all right, fucking go there, do this. Uh, let's double that. Let's do this. Like, could you tell a difference between the confidence in the band between then and now? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Every, everybody had so much more confidence. I think you guys and you, you know, your direction, you know, you know what, not that you didn't before, but it was just kind of like, you know, I heard you say on, I think it's podcast number one. And you said something about like, when you came to Nashville, you felt like you're trying to make a, you know, trying to make a Nashville record or something like that. I, I never felt like that way. I always felt like you guys tried to stay true to who you were. We just, you know, it just needed a lot more polishing back then. Now, I now the, it, I think it the doesn't. thing for us like back then was I don't really think we knew what we sounded like. And to me, 
we were taking direction in a different way than we do now. But more than right. anything, I think we know who we are now. I think that's the difference. And I, I kind of want to bring that up now, like from a different perspective, right? Now we're getting into the real questions. Interviewer Collins coming in. Um, <laughs> when you're working with an artist, how much does the personality of the artist that you're working with change the way you change the direction of what you're doing? Like does, does vibing with someone and the personality of the band come into what you're producing? Yes, totally. Um, so so, so I, this artist will remain nameless. So I just did a – I hardly ever do any country projects. Um, being in Nashville, it's totally weird, but I just don't love – that kind of music doesn't speak to me. This guy was kind of an old school country guy. And when we first did it, it was definitely one of the first things I've done. That was kind of like just for the money. (laughs) 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 I mean, in my mind, but as we got into it, I was like, man, like the personality of the guy, I totally vibed with him. He started listening to some things. I said, I listened to some things he said. So when we got done with the end of the record, I was like, man, this is, this is pretty cool. Um, so it matters a lot. So sometimes if someone's, if you have like three headstrong people in the band and you have me, a lot of times I just, I just chill out and, and I just make little comments here and there to kind of, you know, direct the ship. Cause it's already got, a, you know, you got three people that are, captains then you have another then you have another project where it's like just a solo guy and he's he's asking me questions wanting my input you know 95 percent you know i do that too i think the funniest thing is you as a producer right and this is from an artist that's worked with you a bunch um you're funny because i don't think you realize you have these little ticks right and i feel like all producers do where like you can be excited about something and be like, oh yeah, man, that's great. But when you don't like something, but you don't want to say it, you have a tick. Do you know what it is? Yeah, I kind of stutter, stutter. I mean, I kind of say something and stutter around. I've been. Is that is that right? No, you go. We'll go like Trace. What do you think of that? And you go. Mm, yeah, man, that 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 was cool. Like <laughs> 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 we always say that in the studio. We'll be there and we'll be like. If this would be like if we were working on something, we weren't sure about it. We'll just go like this would be a moment where Trace would say, "Yeah, that, that that's fine. That's okay." <laughs> I I think it's because when I first started out producing, I was so uh, blunt with people um, that I would hurt some people's feelings. And after I'd done that, you know, a dozen times, I, I thought, well, maybe you know, because I'm not always right. Um, nobody is. So. You know, so I'm thinking like maybe I find a better way when I don't like something. That's probably where that that came from. Now, now when you're producing, right? And I, I'm I'm excited to dig into your kind of like thought process as a producer. First of all, I want to ask, what was the process like of transitioning from being a producer or from an artist to a producer? How did you make that transition? Um, I had a band that I had met on the road. Um, they opened the show for us. They gave me a demo tape, asked them how much they spent on it. They said it was three songs. They said $4,000. And I just said, it sounded terrible. And so I said, listen guys, if you would, you know, I think I said like, give me a thousand bucks. Let's go in and let's do a, you know, six songs. So we did. Um, and it came out pretty well and it got on some best. That was in 99. I think it got on some like, you know, best of, top 10 list for indie bands for that year. So I started getting a few calls here and there. So I don't know exactly. I think I just started doing it. I think I, I read an article uh, that basically said everybody fakes it. Nobody has the, nobody has the answers. I just kind of took, I just kind of did that. I just kind of took that idea and went with it. I, you know, if someone would say a piece of equipment, I didn't know, I would just say, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, it's great. Now, how much as a producer, right, do you go in? Because from my perspective, I've been interested to work with different producers and find out how they – like how long did it take you to figure out technical proficiency and when to use different amps, when to split different amps, when to mic drums differently? Like do you have an outside voice you depend on or is this more something you've learned? Yeah, you know, um, so Joe Costa, who is a friend to both of us, uh, amazing engineer, amazing mixer. He's done. I mean, he did some stuff off the last Kesha record. He ben did Fold. Ben Fold. 
Ben Folds, Ben Folds Five, and he's done his discography is sick. Um, he actually, oddly enough, he engineered the first record that I ever did. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, you didn't know that. No. Well, he was okay. So he was the assistant engineer to a, a a guy who was just killing it in town. He did like DC Talk. He did like all these records that were kind of Christian records, and then he went into pop, and he had a bunch of huge pop records. Joe was his assistant, and so I just approached Joe and I said, "I'm going to produce this band, and I'm I'm sure I'm going to do a bunch of dumb stuff, but if you <laughs> you know would you would you you know." would you engineer it for me? And he said, yeah, sure. And we had like the best time. And then after that, I didn't see Joe for like five or six years, but I do rely on him a lot. I don't always use him, but I do rely on him a lot. And I rely on people who know like, so for me, guitars and drums are super important. Um, and it's always kind of a, a gut, uh, it's kind of a gut, idea that i have so what i now, when you, wait, hold on. so when, when you say gut like are you like do you rely on like because even when you're picking an artist to work with right when you're picking uh like are you looking more at, like the guts of a song or are you looking at technical proficiency because i mean there's a lot of artists out there who don't even think about producers until they think they're on so for me like i'm interested to know from a producer's point of view are you looking at the guts of their song or the band around it that's a good question um so back to what we were saying a second ago, when, when I'm in the studio and we're getting sounds, um, I, I mean, I, know, I generally know what Mike's setup I like on guitar. I generally know what Mike's setup I like on, on uh, drums. But like, so example, we were at, I was doing a record in a studio called Blackbird. Blackbird is uh, literally, literally, yeah, literally has every microphone ever made. So, and they have about 10 of each of them. So your, your choices are almost too much. So they have about, I'm not lying. I think they have 40 drum kits upstairs. That's so, it. So I just walk through, I just tap them. I, I bring down about half a dozen of each thing. And like this band in particular, I think we changed snares about eight times during the record. And each time I would say, Hey, just try that. I wouldn't. It just felt right to me. I would tap it, and when we throw a mic up on it, I was like, "Dude, that's the one." Why? I don't know. I, I think drums. I think it's just like when I was a kid, this and you know, listening to sounds and knowing what you like. And um, man, I always studied. I studied like who produced records, who engineered records. Like I was kind of into that when I was a teenager. You know, like I'm who that did way what. when it comes to hip hop. Like I need to know who produces everything. Like, to me, it's not as important about the artist itself. I always want to know, like, oh, did Jess Blaze do that? Did Kanye produce that? But when right. it comes to bands, you know, I kind of, like, I lean on, like, my big producer. Like, I think of Jimmy Iovine. I think of John Landau. Of course, I'm thinking about, like, rock producers. But totally. I think, yeah. I think this leads me to another question, right? So have you ever gotten in the studio with a band and you've had good convos and, like, you think this is going to go a certain way and you get in and shit just starts hitting the fan and nothing fucking works? <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah, that first Fox Trot the Get Down record was an absolute fucking mess. <laughs> um, no, I won't use you guys for an example. There's another band, all these bands, I'm not naming them. Um, yes, we, we got in, the first three songs just were terrible, and this was like over a, you know, a two-day period. Um, and again, not to, not to tool on drummers, a lot of times it comes down to Stuff's just got to be simplified. You gotta... For me, from my perspective with you, like I've always learned that from your perspective, like that's where your eyes key. That's where your ears key. You're very keen on drummers and, and like even because we've had different drummers come through and you'll be like, oh, I really think you guys sound fucking better with that drummer than this drummer. And then when we got Jimmy, right. it was like, okay, okay, you know what you're doing now. But is the drummer kind of the heartbeat of the band in your opinion? Yeah, especially with a, with a rock band. You think of like, Max Weinberg with the E Street Band. You know what I mean? I, yes. I, to me, he's like integral part of, I mean, that band. He just does so many cool things. I mean, the uh, drums, um, if the drummer is trying to play too much, it just, it screws it all. It just messes it all up. So if I, you're going I, to I see had, a band, right? On this if... particular band, I had to get in there, I had to dig it out, and I had to tell this drummer, look, you know, 
I need I need kick snare kick kick snare. I don't need you know I can't do it. All. I can't. I don't need. It's, it's screwing the song up. And once the drummer changed, then the bass player changed. Once the bass player changed, the rhythm guitar player, I simplified his parts, and then everything locked. And then we had a great track. If there was one band currently, like this isn't like a historical thing, like right now that you could work with as a producer, and you're like, I could make their sound to a different fucking level, or just an opportunity to be in with a different band. Who would you pick? You know who I like? There's two bands that I that I kind of think that. Um, one is a band from Chicago called Twin Peaks. Oh, Twin Peaks are fucking awesome. Yeah, I like I love them a lot, but I think I think I could help them. I think I could help them. Just I, that sounds so so pious. <laughs> I, I really think uh, just a little, just a little bit of you know five percent. To, to the right or left, I think I could I could help. And the other band that I really like, I don't think, is the Lemon Twigs. Dude, you're picking some really obscure shit that I love. I lo- the Lemon Twigs are fucking awesome. Man, they're so they're so talented and weird. Uh, it might be hard to produce them because I don't know if they'd listen. But if they they always in interviews, they're always saying they want to hit. You know, they're like, we just want to hit. And I'm like, dude, you got you got to calm down. Just just ten percent, not not dumb it down too much, but yeah. What either one of those bands I feel like would be super fun to for work someone with. that's worked with you, right? Like the one thing that me and you have always clicked on, and the reason why I think we work so well together is because I both think we have an ear for choruses. Like I think we both really like harp on the guts of a song. In like it has to be a great song before you go into the studio, and then you could take it to a different level. Yes, like, that's funny. I was thinking about you. Yesterday, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I, I had a, um, I have a guy who I'm working with, and I sent him a song, just the music of the song, and he said, you know, because I was giving him a chance to do the lyrics, he sent back the lyrics, and I was kind of like, man, mm. you know, and, and he said, what do you think? I said, it's a good start. We need to just, you know, keep shaping it because it's definitely not there yet. Um, you're a really good songwriter and you, you are, a. I remember, uh, my partner at that time telling me saying Colin is a sponge, like anything that he learns, he, like he learns it and then he, then he does it times 10. And I feel like that's why you've, the trajectory of the band is like shot off so fast. It's like you, you know what I mean. You guys like. Well, I think for things. me, like for for like what you've given me, like just for anybody who's listening, who's looking for a producer, look for this, right? So when I came to Trace, I thought I kind of knew everything in a way because I really hadn't had the experience to say like, okay, maybe that's not it. But Trace was an honest enough with me. You're, I'm talking like I'm in third person here. So you were honest enough with me to say, that's good, but it could be great. Like, and how do you, how do you, like, can you tell how an artist responds when you say something like that, when you give constructive criticism, whether they back away or whether they run towards the challenge? Yes. And I think the difference is, uh, who's going to be successful and who's not going to be successful That's in because, life. yeah, it's because I mean, man, I was, uh, okay, look, I'm going to bring the, I'm going to bring the Bible into it for a second. If you don't That's mind. Totally so, fine. I was reading, so I was reading Proverbs today, and Proverbs says like a fool despises correction, you know. And I, and I'm thinking like, in the, in the world of music, there are so many artists that already think they're Mick Jagger, yeah, you know, and they haven't done anything, they haven't done anything, and and I'm asking them, could we make that better? And they're and they get and they get mad, and and they're like, no, that's it. I mean, it's a hit. I think to me, like, that, I, I know so many artists like who just think right away that they're going to be the biggest artist in the world. And it was a conversation we had on a past podcast where I said, you know, at 23, my first time going to Nashville, I was like, well, that's it. Sign me up on the biggest rock star in the world tomorrow. But right. It was you. Like, and I don't want to gush, right? I've had a few, I've had a few cocktails today while on quarantine. Um, it was funny when Trace <laughs> called me like, on Skype to set this up. I actually rushed upstairs to do it into our spare bedroom, and I uh, missed a step and smashed my phone on the ground. So that tells you where I'm at, right? Oh. But either way, so I'm, 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 
I'm just thinking about this. I'm making a little gushy, but you don't even realize like what you've done for one, me, and two, the band, and how much you shaped where we're going, and how I think about songwriting, and it's really changed my life. So if you want to take a second and take some credit for changing my life, go ahead, do it. That was it. All right, cool. You took a second, literally. <laughs> All right, back into that's, the interview. I mean, no, dude, that's amazing. But I do think you – I appreciate that. But uh, you listened to what I had to say. That doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that everything I say, you, you did it. You, but you listened to it. You took it to heart because you knew, like, I had your best interest. And then you, you shaped it into what you wanted it to be. I think that's the difference, right, between – like you, you took it and made it your own. Yeah, I think I think that's always been a goal of ours. And I mean, you know, I, I know from a band's perspective, we've always kept very close to home and we, we value where we're from. And uh, but Nashville was where we really grew up. So like I, I was born in Philadelphia. I was raised in Philadelphia, but I feel like I really grew up as a human being and an artist in Nashville. So you I had mean, a lot to do with that, man. Thank you. Thank you. As we as we were talking about, you know, being harsh to people earlier, like, I don't know if I can tell this story or not. Uh, do you tell remember, it. like, we were recording the record, like, I made Erica cry. Oh, <laughs> uh, when we were doing harmonies on uh, uh, Between Your Sheets. It was the last day of a two-week recording stand. Yeah. <laughs> and you recorded no, the harmonies. No <laughs> can we have a second just to, like, both respect and understand what strides Erica Ruiz as an artist has made and as a human being? Like... It's it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. She is, she was always a good singer. It's not it's not it was not that. It's just again, she has worked her butt off. And then the next time I saw you guys after the record, which is like a year later, I think you came through town, and I was astounded how much she had grown. Uh, to me, I've, I've said it again and again. Erica is my greatest like. Like the thing I brought the most that's brought the most joy out of me in in music because to watch someone who always wanted to do it, didn't do it, and then started to do it, faced roadblocks, and then became what she is today, like it brings so much fucking joy to my heart. Dude, it's unbelievable. And you I mean, you know, dude, you guys aren't you guys aren't finished. You're still you're still growing. I Bro, think. this is the you know beginning. I, mean? I, I I'm I'm a freak. You know I'm a freak when it comes to the work ethic. Like this is the very fucking beginning of everything. Right, totally. All right, so hold on. So I'm going to step away from the producer bag for a second, right? Now we're going back into your musician days. I want to know right now, what was your like biggest, holy fuck, I can't believe I'm doing this moment? Um, like you're in a room with somebody and you're like, wait, this dude is here? Like I'm actually having a conversation or like a venue where you were like, whoa, I'm actually here? played new york um and we played well what's what's the bowery ballroom yes uh was amazing sold out we were playing with an 80s sort of an 80s band called from australia called midnight oil wait you played with midnight oil wait you didn't even fucking bring that up how do we sleep when our beds are burning yeah dude we toured with them for i mean probably four months straight but we, we were playing at the bowery ballroom in New York, sold out. Uh, there's two. That, one is one is that, and, and, then, and uh, after the show, somebody comes up and says, "Little Stevens here. He wants to he wants to meet you guys." I'm gonna pass out, dude. It was amazing, and I'll send you the picture. So I have you know, we stand in there with Little Steven, and uh, it was pretty. It was pretty cool, and he was like going, "Oh man, it's just you know." He's like, it's so great, it's so great to see like young kids doing the rock thing. First of all, that's a great little Steven. For those who don't know, little Steven is one of the guitar players in the E Street Band, which if you don't know me, which I'm pretty sure anybody who's listening does, you know, Bruce is God. So this is a very interesting story that I didn't know happened. Hold on a second. I want to also say something. You toured with John Mellencamp. Like, that wasn't a thing where you're like, holy shit, pink houses, like small town, Jack and Diane. Oh. Oh. He was amazing. He was amazing every night. His thing is he just doesn't – he doesn't like to socialize very much. Uh, so we were just kind of told – like I watched the show every night. It was amazing. And I met his his then wife who was his third 
wife who was a model and super cool, hung out with us every night. He just never was, he just never would come around. You know what I mean? So for me, John yeah, Mellencamp for a certain amount of time, like, I don't really think you need to talk to anybody. Like, people are just like, all right, we'll leave John Mellencamp away. Yeah, 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 yeah. The other one is, uh, so that night at the Bowery Ballroom, by the way, I was, I was kicked out of the Bowery Ballroom. Room. I didn't know whether banned. you were going to tell this story or not. Please tell this story. For a year. Nah, it's not even that. It's not even that exciting. I just, I was banned from playing there for a year because there was some uh, there was a bottle of vodka involved, and they thought they I don't know that it was. But I, <laughs> the, the only thing that was bad is I didn't get to hang out with Little Steven like all night. It was just part of the night. Little Steve was standing like, whoa, that guy got kicked out. <laughs> Alright, hold on. Is, so, so I'm, I'm gonna go San, back into some in more San Francisco with the Fillmore. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with some more with some more interviews where we start getting into like rock and roll shit. Um, yeah, yeah. All right. So being that you have been in the industry now since you were like basically a kid into being an adult, right? And we have a lot of conversations about the way the industry has changed. Watch how I'm about to bring this into the internet, Trace. It's the name of the podcast. Like, oh, right. Have you seen the industry change? And do you even in the position that you are ever have a moment where you're like I don't even know what the fuck is going on anymore. Yes, every day. Every every day. Like I it's so, so funny. You talked about Nashville. There's so many there's so many people that I know that like yesterday, like I talked to two dudes yesterday that played on top ten records, right? And we had this conversation all the time. Like it's so the unknown it's like so you had the you had the, the labels that used to be the gatekeepers and then Spotify and everything supposedly came and blew it out of the water, but they really didn't blow it out of the water. They they did for us a, a second, and then they became the new gatekeepers. And then you know about that, and then you have to get on the the playlist of this. And play yes, I know this. And, and so then I'm like, so did anything really change? Uh, I mean, you, you can put your music out, and you can get it, you know, uh, distributed. That's t- anybody can do that. But to actually make it like that's why i'm i'm honestly like a fan of you guys because you have found a way to get around it and it's i mean it's i heard um talking to the drummer for the black keys and he said the same thing this is name drop name drop name drop he said the same I mean, he said the same thing he's like no but he's a producer and he's producing a bunch of cool stuff and he's like the main problem is once the record's done, how to get it to out into the ether, you know, the atmosphere, the, the ethosphere, like how to how to make that band get over the, the hump. I, I, dude, I I have no idea. I think it's to the point where it's it's basically a wild west situation where we're all kind of standing around going, I don't really know what's going on here, but I'll figure it out. But I think that more now than ever, it takes a certain headstrongness and a certain uh, like stick to it tipness. And yes. tenacity to, to really get where you want to go. But I, I don't think that the, the answers are like, you know, unattainable. But I think, I think too, like what we're doing right now, right? This podcast, it's extra content, whatever. But I think yeah. it's also a way that more than ever, like you have to like really find out who you are and sell people on you. Right. Because it's all, it's all personal relationships at the end of the day. You know that. So if you don't like somebody, you're not going to work with them. And, you know, oh, I mean, I mean, what are the chances that you wind up working with certain people? Like, I mean, what are the freaking chances that we wind up working together? Being like, you know, a kid from Philly and, and a dude from Nashville. Like, it, it was all a matter of personal relationship. And I think, you know, in the internet age especially and where we are now as a society, like, relationships still reign supreme. Yes. Like, I, you know, I call it the, the Elvis – as my friend says, the Elvis experience. You know, Elvis – supposedly was such a humble guy, you know, as he was coming up, you know, the food chain, even though he had crazy success and people, he, you know, he was always very humble. And I think that kind of, that serves people well, if, you know, you're personal with people, you got to have good songs. You can't be personal and have trash. You know that. Oh, I but, know that. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like you, you, you do, uh, yeah, you don't want to go to the radio station and play for them, but you do it. You don't want to fly out to Denver and do some, uh, you know, Netflix convention, but you do it. 
You know what? It's funny because we were talking about this story about we were on tour like two years ago, and our radio promoter said to us, he was like, hey, guys, I know you're driving in Nashville, but can you drive to Asheville, North Carolina, and go to this radio station? They'll be waiting for you. And we were like, I mean, that's only like four fucking hours out of the way, but sure. And we show up to the radio station, right? And they have a sign in the front that says, welcome, Foxtrot, and they get down. And we were like, okay, this is cool. Like, I wonder what we're going to wind up doing here. And what we actually wound up doing was we went into a conference room with five of the DJs, and they said, okay, play an acoustic concert for us, and then leave. And so we never even wound up going on the air. We didn't wind up having like a, like a, like an on-air interview. We literally went to a conference room and played for the DJs. Jimmy – I'm sorry. It wasn't even Jimmy at the time. It was – no, it was Jimmy. I thought it might have been Nate. And we just – we fucking – he played the shaker and the rest of us just like played our hearts out. And these people clapped and then we left. So we drove four hours out of the way and ate sushi in North Carolina to literally do that. Dude, I mean, and I think that is so important. Uh, another band that I produced wanted me to help them get some tour dates. I threw some tour dates at them, and, uh, you know, like, you know, probably 25, 26 dates. And they were like, I mean, I mean, that's one of those is in Texas. I mean, you know, that's, that's, like, we oh, can't do blah, that. Blah, blah, and I'm like, suck it up I mean, and make the trip to Texas. Come on. We've all had terrible tour. Give me, now hold on. Going back to like musician tricks. What's the worst show you ever played? Like, you ever remember like going somewhere and sitting there and going like, "Why am I here? There's nobody here." Oh yeah, oh yeah, a lot, a lot. Of, I mean, a lot of those shows. Uh, what would suck is to come to your hometown, which you know I know you know about it. And we were, you know, we were moving to bigger venues, so we played a place that held like you know 700 people, which before was unthinkable. And we'd sell it out, and then we would. You know, fly to or not fly. We drive to South Carolina, and there'd be you know five people there. Maybe, dude. I yeah. know that game, and I'll say this much: like, I think it was kind of like a, an odd thing to open our eyes to, right? So I'll think about like a time we did. It was even like two hours away, so it was in New York, and we played a ten thousand person thing in Philly for a radio station. We went to New York the next night, and the band that was supposed to headline from New York dropped out, so we wound up having to headline it. It was just us, and I think, like, two people showed up. <laughs> Could you imagine, yeah. like, the kick in the nuts between playing 10,000 people to playing two? Dude, uh, like, if, if we have the time, I'll tell a, I'll tell a quick story. And this, this, like, this this happened to me, so I tell bands this all the time. I, I was playing bass with a band called Hurricane Mills Revival, and it was just sort of like a, I help them do their EP, and... They had a short little tour. It was it was to New York for three days and then some other place and then back home, right? I had sent the demo to Maverick Records, which was Madonna's label. Madonna, you know, it was they had they had some pretty cool bands on there at the time. Yeah, no big deal, Madonna, whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. And um, the guy's like, yeah, I like it. I listen to it. Whatever. Okay, so we went and played uh, Manny's Car Wash in New York. You know that place? It's like a blues bar it used to be. We played that. And then the next night was a Monday night, right? Pouring rain. There were three people in the bar. Nice. Uh, a singer decided he was going to get drunk and just like throw the gig, not worry about it. <laughs> yeah. So after we get if we get done, which was, you know, the gig was uh, not great uh, because of him. I go sit at the bar. Guess who's there? Head A and R guy from Maverick Records. Oh my He's, god! Yeah, and he goes, "Man, I really liked the tape you sent me, but I, I didn't really love what I heard tonight." Oh uh, my god, yeah. dude! That reminds me of this time, right? So I won't name yeah. the manager, right? So Trace and me had like been like talking to this manager, and we were like, "Oh my god, this is gonna take us to the next level." And he was like, "Dude, I'm coming into Nashville. Can you guys fly in and get a show?" So we bust our ass to get a show in Nashville. <laughs> Pay for our own plane tickets. We go down. We show up. And we don't have any of our own gear. Like, we don't have an amp. Like, we're playing with, with, like, the house stuff. And if you're a musician, you know, like, you know, you have your own gear that you, like, know. You know your, your sounds. We go play the drum kit, and it sounds like, I don't know, like, if you're thinking of tones, this sounds like a Fisher-Price kit. Like, it was the worst sounding drum kit ever. I have, I have an amp that's only clean. There's no distortion on the amp. So we're basically fucked as it is. And we still played this show. We played our heart out to a venue that was full of people, but they were all sitting eating dinner. It was just the wrong environment, the wrong yep. setup. And uh, the, the, the 
the manager at the end of it, like, he comes out and we're, like, everybody's outside smoking and, like, we're, like, talking and he's like, yeah, that was really cool. And I think I heard from the guy one more fucking time in my entire life. Yeah. 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 I know, man. And, and everybody's got those stories, you know, and it's, it's paying your dues, but I, you just gotta, you just gotta, you never know when that opportunity is going to happen. Oh, it's no, just, you got, you have to, like, treat every gig like it's your last because you never know who's going to be there. That was something you taught me. It was kind of a situation where it was like, dude, I don't care what the situation is, you're going to play your balls off. And, I mean, like, for me, like, that was never a question, but it was always, like, kind of, like, get your boys and be like, listen, you never know who's going to be here. There's yeah. seven people there, and you're trying to convince them, like, yeah, dude, this is, like, Madison Square Garden, so. <laughs> yeah, and we, man, we all, you know, we used to say, could we, would we go out, like, we want to be the best band in the world that, you know, I know it's lofty to say that, but we're like, could, could we be, could we have the best gig of any band uh, in, in the world? And some nights you go, I don't know, man, I, that was, that was, pr- that was pretty tight. You know what I mean? When I saw you guys down here at the five spot. Yes. That was, uh, uh, that was that, last year that around a, this time. That was, was like a probably killer this month, gig. Like this week, last year. Yes. That was a great gig. And I was like, dude, you guys have grown so much. Wow. I think I think I think Will Sheed a lot for that, our saxophone player, and I thank Jimmy a lot for that. But I, I think it's just as a whole we've we've grown up, and I you know I don't want to keep giving you credit because I don't want to get your head too big. But I thank you a lot. For no. that. <laughs> thank you, Colin. Well, you guys, I mean, yeah, you know, you're you're all grown up. I'm married, so yeah, I hope I'm grown up. <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah, man, it's like and. I can't wait to, you know, work on the next thing. The song we did, Monster, uh, amazing. And I like it because it's a little different than the other tracks on the record. Let me ask you a question. So, of all the songs we've done together, because you got to think you did our entire first album, and then, you know, you've really helped me along with a lot of the songs that have come since. Like, our singles. Like, I still send you everything, even if we're not in the same city. Um, What's your favorite song that we've ever done together? So... Foxtrot song or solo Colin song? Ooh, let's tempt people because not everybody knows. Yes, I have a whole solo Americana project done that Trace helped me, you know, tweak all these songs and then put a full band together in Nashville. It's me, Trace, uh, our buddy Spencer, who's in the band Steve, um, Chris Tench, he's an amazing guitar player, and then fucking Brad Pemberton from Ryan Adams and the Cardinals. Uh, You can count those songs as well. Man, um, Okay, so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that with th- three songs. Uh, Roll down the road because we you and I co-wrote that one together. Of course, because you need that you need that back end on these situations, dude. I know how this shit goes. No, I know, but I just felt like that. Just that's kind of like that started off kind of like you were you were going upward, and then I felt like it just kind of pushed you guys a little further up the hill. Not because of the song, just you know, we just it was just I think that was the last song. On the record. That was the last song I wrote, and there's a cool backstory to that. So I was in Las Vegas for my then-girlfriend, now-wife's birthday. This was like four years ago or something like that. And uh, Trace sends me – I get off the plane, and there's uh, a voice memo on my phone, and it's from Trace, and it's a melody. And he's just going – do, 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 do. And Trace's little soft Lando voice. I'm going to call you Lando on the podcast. But uh, (laughs) – so – and then I wound up writing this song called Roll Down the Road, which is one of our most streamed songs. It's one of the only old songs that we play in our show, but I wrote it in the basement of the Hard Rock Hotel, which is a pretty cool fucking story. But all right, continue. Um, and then the other one would be the one that we just did, Monster, only because it's just so cool to like, you know, come in and be a part of that you know, at the end of your new record. And just with all the new players, with Will, I've never done anything with Will. I've never done anything with Jimmy before, so it was that was really cool. I actually then, like that. That is my favorite song from the new record, and we just played the whole record for the first time live in Philly, and that was by far the most well received song. So I actually agree. That's probably my favorite song we've ever done together. And you know, on on your solo thing, man, uh, ready to begin. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Man, that's probably my favorite. It's it's because um, I sang the background vocals, and in my mind, I had already written the bass part, which is a very kind of Elvis Costello-y kind of bass part. Yeah, one hundred percent. 
and Brad, when Brad, I hadn't played with Brad in such a long time. He's on, he's been on the road with um, Steve Earle, and he just came in and destroyed it. And it was, I mean, man, that band was, man, that was a monster band. It was fun, and it just we, the songs just came out like that. Well, so, good for everybody to know. Like, I think especially with this like lockdown that we have going on, I think we're gonna put that. I think we're gonna put at least a single out from that. So you can uh, you can expect to hear me talk about that soon. Nice, but yeah, I mean, you know, they're, they're all, they all, I have fond memories of all of them, but, uh, those three for sure. Do you remember the, the, the number one moment? Cause I do of you telling me that something wasn't good. Do you remember what song it was? Cause we have this like burnt into our brain as a band. <laughs> no, I don't. All right. So I'll tell the story. So we're in the studio and the first song that we like were doing pre-production on was roll down the road. Right. And so we didn't have like everything fleshed out because it was the newest song and we wrote it together. And so, now I remember. Okay, so we're going through, right? And we're playing it as a live band in the studio. And all of a sudden, we get to this like bridge part. And we had this like jazzy slowdown part. And I'm like sweating bullets thinking about doing this because I've never done this before with Trace or any producer. And uh, we play this part. And all of a sudden, I look over to my left and Trace is waving his hands fervently. And I'm like, all right, everybody stop, stop, stop. And Trace goes, no, no, no. That's the worst piece of shit I've ever heard. No, no, no. Fuck that. I said that? Yes, exact word for word. And we're all standing there sweating. And I'm looking at, at Ken. And Ken, big goofy fuck that he is, is just like looking at me like, uh-oh, we messed up. And now whenever, like, we'll do something. And, like, this is how far your effect is gone. We'll, like, go into the studio and we'll do something. And, like, Erica will be sitting in the back because Erica's the foreman in any songwriting session. Is he sits there and, contri- and critiques. And right. she'll say something, and I'll be like, dude, why don't you just say, no, 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 that sucks. That's the worst piece of shit I ever heard. Fuck that. <laughs> be a great t-shirt. I'm getting it made. You know what, dude? All right, so I'm going to call it after this. So, Trace, this is not the last interview. This is the first interview that you'll ever do. We're going to have nice. you on again soon. But, uh, dude, this has been a blast. Can you believe we just killed, like, 45 minutes? Dude, that was amazing. I loved it. Do you know something else that we have in common? What? That I didn't know, but I learned from listening to your podcast. You were a DJ on a college radio station, right? Yes, sir. Ninety-seven point or 91.7 WCUR, The Curve, Westchester, Pennsylvania. So when I was in college, I got a job at a radio station as the morning DJ. What? Yeah. 50s and 60s station. Um, <laughs> it was hysterical. Hysterical. My, my name, my on-air name was Woody Dean. It, it, Woody Dean in the morning. It Are was you fucking so, kidding me? So Your bad. name is Trace Sasser. You don't need a radio name, dude. You know why? Because our, our general manager called me in and he said, you can't use your real name. And he's like, what? He goes, name a, he says, what's something from the 50s you like? And I said, remember Woody's? Like the car? See, Woody's in Philadelphia means something different. Woody's in Philadelphia <laughs> is a is a, uh, a gay club. It's like a gay bar. <laughs> Well, let's not. Okay. Well, um. So, but anyway, so he's, <laughs> he's, he's like, he's like, Woody is a car, and James Dean was a movie star. Woody Dean, that's your name. I mean, but I, did it, I did it for a year and a half. You got a fucking radio name as it is, dude. Your name is Trace Sasser. Like that's right. a cool fucking name. Yeah. Well, I, I he didn't think so. So a cool name. But, cool names. You've given cool names to your kids as well. Like. Uh, me and Dana were talking about like kid names for later on down the line, and like instantly I thought like I'll never have kids names as cool as yours. What are your kids names, Trace? Um, <laughs> should, I, should, I say, should I say this on the air? Um, I, I'll, I'll say one. Your, your oldest son's yeah. name is Jet. Like that's a pretty cool name. Yeah, I thought it was cool, and we we kind of like Jack, but we we every, everyone was naming their kid Jack, and so we're like, dude, we like Jet with one T. Yeah, like and that's, that's good coming from Woody Dean. <laughs> Trace, right. uh, I, I love you, dude. I uh, can't wait to do this again soon. Uh, if anybody wants to find Trace, find him on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, and get your work done by Trace because this man is a genius. Trace, I love you. I'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy? Love you too, man. Talk to you soon.